64 years ago, September 15, 1958, George slipped into the side door of an auditorium to avoid the crowd that had gathered near the front door. It was the first day of class at a new school, and George was just trying to be a normal student. That was going to be a challenge, because the moment George walked into that auditorium, all eyes were on him. For starters, he was four or five years older than the other students. Plus, his classmates were dressed casually. George wore a suit and tie. To calm his nerves, George tried to focus on the task at hand. It wasn't just first-aid jitters, and it wasn't just the people in that auditorium who were watching him. People across the United States were invested in George's success. You see, George Stark Jr. was the first black student to be admitted to the University of Florida. You're listening to Celery City Stories, the podcast for curious people that explores the incredible history of Sanford and Seminole County, Florida, they didn't teach in school. I'm your host, Dan Ping. Welcome to another Celery City Story. This story is significant for the state of Florida, the University of Florida, and the city of Sanford. George Stark Jr. is the son of Dr. George Stark, the first black doctor in the city of Sanford. Interestingly enough, September 15th is an important date for both father and son. On September 15th, 1927, Dr. Stark opened his first office in Sanford. 31 years later, his son integrated the University of Florida on September 15th. The University of Florida was the first university in the Deep South to admit a black student. It would be another three to six years before state universities in South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana would integrate. George Jr. had earned his undergraduate degree at Morehouse University in Atlanta, and he served four years in the Air Force before he was admitted to the University of Florida Law School. In previous Celery City stories, it's just been me telling the stories. For today's episode, I was honored to interview Mr. Stark, so I'm going to let the man himself do most of the talking. When your father is a popular doctor in town, naturally, there's pressure to pursue a career in medicine. While at Morehouse University, George Jr. discovered a major issue with that career path. Well, when I was uh, in undergraduate school, I was thinking about medicine, but I ran into some difficulty with organic chemistry. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first one. <laughs> Absolutely. Just weren't enough hours in the day to assimilate all of that. <laughs> what it did, though, was uh, make it difficult for me to think about what I wanted to do. One day it came to me when I was walking across a big empty field in Wyoming where I was stationed in the Air Force. That's exactly what I want to do. There was no one thing pushing George to a legal career. He just felt his skills and interests would best be suited in that field. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. In fact, just taking the law school admissions test, better known as the LSAT, 
turned out to be a major challenge. So I was directed to go to the University of South Carolina in order to take the LSAT, which I did, and big contrast because there nobody spoke to me at all except there were some students there from uh, West Point and they were the only ones who talked to me at all. We were out in the big yard waiting for the doors to open and when they opened we went in and sat down together and shortly after that I heard somebody behind me hissing a little bit and I figured that since I knew what that was all about I wasn't going to even look. Sure enough this guy had to walk up front and get my attention and uh, motion for me to come with him what they wanted to do was take me over to the uh, Office of the Secretary of State of South Carolina, where I took the LSAT with a proctor. Just to be clear, they weren't giving George special treatment because they liked him. Other students complained that taking the LSAT with a black man in the room was unfairly distracting. It would not be the last unique circumstance George would experience as a law student. His first day on campus at the University of Florida was spent dodging reporters. Well, one of my cousins had dropped me off at the law school that morning. I walked uh, up the pathway of the sidewalk, and I saw just a horde of uh, reporters out front. Fortunately, I also saw a side door that was open to an auditorium before you got to the front door. I went into the side door and sat down and uh, took a seat and nobody sat near me but I almost had a whole row to myself. (laughs) It was kind of an unusual feeling. I was the only one there with a suit that day and was sweating profusely. So George settled in and focused on the administrators describing what was expected of a first-year law student and how the process would work. No one was discourteous, but no one had spoken to him either. That would soon change. When the recess came, two people came over to say hello, and one of them was a lifelong friend who had been editor of the uh, Gator newspaper, and I met him first, and the second person I met was a lifelong friend, which was... Frederick Levin. If that name rings a bell, it should. More on that in a minute. Fred was Jewish. Although he was not the first Jewish student at the University of Florida, the school wasn't exactly welcoming him with open arms either. George and Fred immediately teamed up to tackle the challenges of law school. We became friends the uh, first day. So this and Related things kind of kept my mind away from the elements of concern. And we got busy right away, so you don't have time to think negative thoughts. There may not have been many negative thoughts at the moment, but soon there was cause for concern. When the time came for registration, I noticed that there were a couple of people in in the line, one of them in front of us, 
and one of them a little bit behind us. And I remarked to Fred that these guys look older than we are. Turns out they were. Throughout the semester, George and Fred noticed the men didn't seem to care about law school. We had noticed that they didn't come to class. And, you know, they would spend time outside the classroom smoking and all that. So, but Thanksgiving, they came, when when we were getting ready to take a Thanksgiving break, they came up and introduced themselves. And they were Florida Highway Patrol members. And we didn't know it at the time, but they were there to assure that I was safe. My name had come up in Klan meetings, so they told me uh, that the president and the governor were concerned that I go home, but not through the Ocala National Forest. Undercover state troopers weren't the only precautions the administration took to ensure George's safety. Later during the school year, I got I was given some of my mail. You could tell that it, somebody had looked at it because I didn't get in any nasty letters, <laughs> nothing bad, just mostly congratulatory and encouraging. Law school is difficult enough. Can you imagine doing it while people go through your mail and strangers follow you everywhere, even if they are state troopers? That was George's reality. He just tried to remain focused. There were millions of people who no doubt were opposed to my being there and millions who were anxious for me to do well. And I used to get calls from magazines and newspapers asking for interviews, all of which I declined because I had tried to just be another student and to just focus on getting my work done. But, but you know, there were, there were little subtleties here and there. Little subtleties. That's how Mr. Stark described his challenges, because he has way more grace than I do. The obstacles he faced weren't little, and they weren't subtle. Fred Levin and I both had trouble finding a mentor, and we were the last in our class to uh, do so. Only one faculty member agreed, John Oaken. George and Fred had a similar experience when it came time to join study groups with the rest of their classmates. And in fact, the two of us were in a study group for a long time because nobody else wanted to be bothered. If that's not subtle enough, consider this little subtlety Fred faced one semester. For example, someone died in his family and he went to see the dean and asked him if he could take the week off. And the dean said, yeah, why are you gone? Just stay. Take all your things and go. Oh, my gosh. And and suppose he had done that. <laughs> I mean, he, he's still uh, donating large sums of money to the law school. <laughs> yeah, now, now his name is on the law school. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You can't graduate from the University of Law School without having his name on the degree. <laughs> That's right. Just a side note about Fred Levin. He was able to donate all of that money because he became one of the most successful trial attorneys in the country. Do you remember when the tobacco companies settled a lawsuit with the state of Florida for $13 billion? 
that was Fred. And while Fred was able to overcome the little subtleties, George did not. All of the pressure from the outside forces and internal angst finally popped. Well, two very serious problems occurred. One is that, and this is something you just never forget, I had, I knew everything there was to know in preparation for an exam in criminal law, but once the time had passed, I found that the only thing I had managed to write on the, excuse me, on the exam document was my name. Just a total mental block. I don't know what could be done about it, but certainly it, it was extremely troublesome. But the net effect is that you don't get a good grade just for writing your name. And then on another occasion, we had been up all night studying, and I decided at the last minute to lay down for 10 minutes, and it turned out 20 minutes, which threw me five minutes late. Oh, gosh. And by that time, the door had been locked. And that combination of of those two experiences was, you know, a big, big headache that was difficult, if at all, to overcome. It wasn't difficult to drop out. It was heartbreaking. The sting of that decision lingered for decades George had been accepted into law schools at both Northwestern University in Chicago and Washington and Lee in St. Louis. He chose Florida because it was his home state university. Did he make the wrong decision? Would the pressure have been less at Northwestern or Washington and Lee? For 20 years after I left the University of Florida, I was unable to bring up the name and in a conversation. Think about that. He could not remember the name University of Florida. I could always ask questions about it, but it was like being in a, in a wilderness because it was really a very crushing experience. A crushing experience, but not a disabling one. I, I had felt so badly for 20 years. <laughs> That's a long time to be just worried about something like that, embarrassed. And so it, it those kind of feelings, you know, occurred, but I didn't let them become effective. George would go on to a career in finance and energy, first on Wall Street and then later companies he started. Worked for Moody's Investor Service, and I was a associate director of government affairs for a Fortune, Fortune 500 company, and at that point got into finance and eventually owned a uh, broker-dealer firm, and uh, I set up a, uh, an insurance operation for Leg Mason, and later owned, but but while I had the investment bank, I also developed some government contract sales in oil and gas, and that eventually 
sent me to work for uh, Pepco, the electric utility in D.C., and where I was a project manager for privatization of large utility systems on large military installations. In the late 1970s, George Stark received an unexpected phone call from Dr. J. Wayne Wrights, the man who was president of the University of Florida when George was a student. Dr. Wrights, about 20 years after my departure, he sent someone to look for me. He had been president of the university when I was a student, and I never saw him. In fact, I had never been to the administration building the whole time I was there. And, but he sent somebody to locate me and I came to see him and he asked if I'd like to participate in any of the um, activities there and I said, sure. This was something I really wanted to do because I am a, a gator. Yes, sir, Mr. Stark. You are a gator. In addition to serving on numerous boards at the University of Florida for more than 40 years, George received the Distinguished Alumnus of the Year Award in 2009. And in 2019, almost 61 years after breaking the color barrier in Gainesville, George Stark Jr. was awarded an honorary degree from the University of Florida's Law School, more specifically known as the Frederick G. Levin School of Law. Anyway, they didn't teach that story in school, now did they? George Stark Jr. was the first black student admitted to the University of Florida. However, he was not the first black student to graduate from the University of Florida. That honor belongs to another man, W. George Allen, and he, too, has a Sanford connection. We'll talk about that in a future episode. Mr. Stark's experience resonates with me for a couple of reasons. First is the connection that he and his father, Dr. Stark, have to the city of Sanford. The other reason is that I graduated from the University of Alabama. Even though the campus had been integrated for a couple of decades by the time I got there, There wasn't a week that went by that I didn't think about the day the university was integrated. Specifically, I thought about George Wallace's pathetic little stand-in-the-schoolhouse door as he tried to block integration. I had one or two classes every semester that were held in Farrah Hall, which was the old law school building. Most of my classes in Farrah Hall were held in the main lecture room on the second floor. It was a tiered classroom, and in the back of the room were these large windows. The windows looked out at the front of Foster Auditorium and the exact spot where George Wallace had his showdown with the National Guard. Before most of my classes, I would climb the stairs to the back of the room and look out those windows. There was always a mixture of emotions. It was awe-inspiring to see the exact spot where such a positive, history-changing event occurred. But there was also sadness as I thought about all of the hatred that surrounded integration at Alabama and across the country. Here's the thing. I had those emotions looking at a spot where history happened before I was born. 
So I can't begin to imagine the emotions and thoughts George Stark had as he actually integrated the University of Florida. If you would like just a brief, tiny little insight into what George Stark experienced that first day, there's a short YouTube video about Mr. Stark's first day at UF. I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can watch it. I want to thank Mr. Stark for taking the time to let me interview him. My interview also included a discussion about his father. I'll tell Dr. Stark's story in a future episode. I need to apologize to all of you who listen and support Celery City Stories. I'm more than a week late in delivering this episode. I wasn't goofing around. I was really sick for about eight days. I'm feeling a little better now. It's just another reminder that I need to do a better job about working ahead and getting a few episodes in the can for these sorts of emergencies. Thank you for your patience, and thank you for listening. Several of you emailed or texted me to find out what was going on, so thank you for checking on me. You're always more than welcome to contact me about the show, especially if I haven't delivered an episode on time. A super-duper listener shout-out goes to these listeners. Diane Vay bought five cups of coffee. Katie Welchel-Stewart also bought five cups of coffee. And Sheila Berry signed up to buy a coffee every month for a year. There were also three people who wished to remain anonymous that bought multiple cups of coffee. If you're new to the show, you're probably thinking, Dan must really like coffee. Well, I do. However, every cup of coffee these listeners bought is a donation that helps support the show. If you like Celery City Stories and you want me to keep telling them, buy me a cup of coffee. You do so by going to my website, CeleryCityStories.com backslash support. Once again, CeleryCityStories.com backslash support. Once you're there, click on the buy me a cup of coffee link. You can buy me one cup, two cups, 20 cups, whatever you like. Your donation is greatly appreciated and will help me continue telling these stories. A couple of weeks ago, I did an episode about Hugh Welchel titled, Sanford Man is Hero in Classic 1920 Alabama-Georgia Game. If you didn't hear that, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can listen. Katie Welchel-Stewart is Hugh's granddaughter. She agreed to an interview and I'll include it at the end of next week's episode. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next Thursday with another Celery City story. Have a great week.